Well, grab your Bibles and open up to 1 Timothy chapter 3. 1 Timothy chapter 3. For those of you who are newer to the church or you've been coming recently, we're going through the book of 1 Timothy. uh, And the series is called The Front Lines of Faith because there are things in the church that uh, men and women of God need to stand up and fight for. There are things that need to be defended. There are things um, that are listed in this whole book. Now, chapter 3, if you've been around, has been filled with all sorts of qualifications for leaders in the church. But it's not just written to leaders, it's also written to you and me and to everyone else. It, it spells out what a Christian is supposed to be like. So that's where we're at, 1 Timothy chapter 3. Let me begin by saying this. There are certain things in life that just seem to go together. They just seem to go together. For example, peanut butter and... Yeah, I start with easy questions. How about that? Or how about Tom and... Yeah, for the younger crowd, how about Phineas and... Yeah, it's a great cartoon, one of my favorites. For the older crowd, how about Sonny and... You just dated yourself. There are other things that just don't seem to go together. For example, if I said sumo wrestling and ballet, check this picture out. You'd be like, huh? Ooh, those things just don't seem to go together. What's with that? Now, here's the thing. In the Bible, there are two things that go together. Yet, we usually separate them. We treat them like they don't go together. We're content to have one without the other. Um, Those two things are love and truth. In the Bible, love and truth go together. They're supposed to go together. They're supposed to be combined in the same same church. But sadly, so often in the church, we separate them or we settle for the love but not the truth or we settle for the truth but not the love. We need both of them at the same time. Therefore, leaders in the church have to be people who love the truth, and they also have to be about caring for people. That's what we'll hear about today, how love and truth go together, how we are supposed to lead the charge on both of these items. Let's pray first, then we'll get into God's Word together. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you came from the Father, full of grace and truth. You alone were the full embodiment of truth, and you alone were the full expression of God's love. And yet, here we are in your church, we have the ability and the privilege of showing forth your truth and your love to the world. We pray that you would make it so, and help us grow in them in this day. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so are you there? 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 2. This this chapter is like one big, long, run-on sentence with all of these qualifications for leaders, and we're just taking a few a week, just a few a week. And here we are in chapter 3, verse 2 where it says, Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach. The husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable. We covered all that already. Then it says this, Hospitable, able to teach. Did you catch what it did there? Hospitable. It's a very loving characteristic to be a hospitable person. Able to teach. Well, there's a truth characteristic knows the truth, can express the truth, hospitable, loving, able to teach, truthful. We're bringing both of those things together in the same sermon today. The leaders in the church have to be hospitable and they have to be able to teach love and truth together in the same leader so that the church is filled with it. The whole sermon really only has two points. 
Um, the first one you can jot down is this. Fill your church with love for people. Fill your church with love for people. Especially the leaders, small group leaders, flock leaders, staff members. Hey, fill your church with love for people. Elders, deacons, hey, fill your church with love for people. The word for hospitality or being hospitable here is actually a pretty strange word. It's a compound word in the Greek. You remember compound words from when you were in elementary school? Two words smushed together. Compound word, right? Um, Well, the compound word in the Greek is this. Love strangers. Love strangers, one word, is what means hospitality. That's what hospitality means. Love strangers. Now, I don't know how you were raised, but my mama raised me right. And my mama raised me to not love strangers. (laughs) My mama told me not to talk to strangers, don't look at strangers, never take candy from strangers, and if you ever get in the car of a stranger, you're dead. That's the way my mama raised me. The only time you can get anything from strangers was Halloween, when you got candy from every stranger on the block. But other than that, am I right? Whoever taught you, you need to love strangers. Doesn't it seem like such a puzzling qualification? Well, we need some elders in the church. Who do we, who do we look for? Well, he's got to be self-controlled and sober-minded and respectable. He can't be a drunk, and he needs to love strangers. Huh? Where did that last one come from? Yeah, he's got to love them. Really? What does that actually mean, to love strangers? Like, we, we have whole, like, training classes in our day to help protect neighborhoods from strangers, right? Check this out. This is like a neighborhood watch. You ever seen this picture in your neighborhood? Look out, stranger. We've got a neighborhood watch program. Just try and get down our street. You know? We don't love strangers. We're not supposed to love strangers. Yet here, a qualification of being a leader in God's church, an attribute God wants to build into every heart, every believer in the room, is hospitality. Love for strangers. That doesn't exactly mean that you're supposed to love those weird, dangerous, you know, people who are out there. In fact, the word strangers can include guests, foreigners from another country or from another city. Um, Strangers basically is an all-encompassing term that includes people who you don't have to love, meaning non-family, non-friends. You kind of have to love family. Am I right? They're going to be at the party next year, and if you don't love them this year, you're going to hear it, and so it works best if you just love them and, and your family, right? You kind of have to love your friends, too, because they've been around for long enough, and you know, you're going to see them all the time. So there's people in your life who it's kind of easy to love them. Then there's people in your life who are difficult to love. Then there's people who you don't technically have to love. You know, It could be anything from the greeter at Walmart to... You know, the toll booth attendant, when you're driving on the expressway, they're just strangers. It can also mean people who are coming to our church who haven't been around for a while. People in your small group who you just don't know. Those all can be called strangers. And when you group that, uh, that sum of people together, God is saying he wants you to love them. He wants you to show them family love. He wants you to show them hospitality. Fill your church with love for people. Now, when I talk about love, sometimes the guys get all, you know, weird. They're like, love. What are we doing talking about love? You know, guys aren't supposed to be loving. We're supposed to be tough. And leaders of the church, they've got to be even tougher because they're leading the charge. What are we doing talking about love? You trying to make me a sissy or something? 
But guys, we've been taught from early on that if you're going to be a leader, you need to be strong and tough, right? Uh, you know, like when I grew up, I watched a movie. I watched Rambo. Have you ever watched Rambo? Check this out. This is John Rambo. He's tough. That's who I want to be. Throw me in the jungle with a whole camp full of enemies and I'm going to come out alive because I want to be tough. Or maybe Conan. When you, I, I watched Conan growing up, I was like, look at that. I want muscles like that. Give me a sword like that and an accent like that. And then you know what I'll be? I'll be a real man. Guys, growing up, you were kind of taught that you got to be tough. All right, how often did you, get, did you get somebody, a man, sit you down and say, hey, listen, you, you got to love strangers. Never. Never. We're not really taught, guys, how to be loved, how to be loving. And so we're confused. We're told we got to be tough. Then it says we got to be loving. So maybe we try and balance the two. Like, I'm going to be tough as nails and able to knock somebody out, and then I'm going to do some cute things every once in a while. Like, check this guy out. He's trying to be tough and loving. Give me some tattoos and some big muscles and hand me a puppy. Now I'm tough and loving, right? And it's kind of weird when guys are trying to do both. They're trying to be all macho and strong, and, and, man, and then they're, gonna, they're trying to be loving too. It doesn't always work out that they're both. We're just confused, guys. What does it mean to be loving and to be masculine? Well, we're supposed to show love. We're supposed to show love, devoted love, family love to those around us. God wants it. 1 Peter 4, 8-9 says this, Above all, now hold on here, let's make a list of everything that's really important in the church, and then what do we put at the top? What do we put at the top? Above all, top of the list, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Here's our word, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Do you hear how it says one another? That means the person next to you. That means fellow believers in the church who maybe you don't have to technically love. Maybe it's believers in the church you don't get along with that well. And here, above all, don't stop loving one another. Jesus said, they'll know you're my disciples by your love for each other. You know, sometimes we get it wrong. Sometimes we think, yeah, we need to get loving. We need to get out there on the street and help the homeless. We need to get over there in Africa and help the hungry. Yes, 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 but it starts right here. And if you can't get along with the person sitting next to you, why on earth are you trying to export that? We've got to start here, one another. Hebrews 13.2, though, says it shouldn't just be an in-house thing. Hebrews 13.2 says, Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. For thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Looking back to the Old Testament, there were stories like in Abraham's life where somebody just came knocking on his door or his tent. And, uh, and he's like, oh, how are you doing? Welcome to town. I'm going to go make you lunch. Stay right here. And it turned out to be God with some angels. They've entertained angels just by being hospitable and loving to those who they didn't know. So based on the fact that you never know who you're entertaining, you should be loving towards strangers. Remember the story of the Good Samaritan? All the religious people walked by the guy who was hurting on the side of the road. It was the Good Samaritan. Samaritans didn't get along with Jews. Crossing over a racial divide to help this person who was injured, picked him up, brought him to an inn, paid that he would get healthy again, paid for him to stay there. That's love for strangers. That's care and concern and love for those who we could actually kind of walk past easily. Sadly, sometimes in churches, they're not loving. Have you been to a cold, 
loveless church. You know what happens, don't you? Have you seen the Grinch that stole Christmas? Here's a picture of the Grinch. What happened? Do you know the problem with the Grinch? Do you remember? How many times have you seen this movie? 100 plus, right? Do you know what was it? What was the Grinch's problem? His heart was two sizes too small. Now the problem is this happens in the church where the heart of a particular church grows two sizes too small. And however devoted they are to truth, if they're not devoted to love, God's got a problem with that church. Okay, why? Why should I fill my church with love for people? Let me give you some reasons here, some motives. Write this down. Because Jesus feels unloved by the unloving church. Write that down. Because Jesus feels unloved by the unloving church. All right, how do I know this? Well, do you remember, if you were here a few weeks ago, the book of 1 Timothy is written to the church in what city? Do you remember? Ephesus. All right? Ephesus, five years before they got the book of 1 Timothy, got a, a book of the Bible written to them, the book of Ephesians. All right? So what that would be like today is we get a letter in the mail from God, and, and it becomes a book of the Bible that's called Harvest Palace. <laughs> like Ephesians is a whole book named after the church in Ephesus. All right? Five years later, we get another book. The book of 1 Timothy was directed to their pastor. So it would be the equivalent of reading a book called the book of 1 Ryan. How weird would that be? Right? We get, we get the letter written to us, and then five years later, we get a book written to our pastor. Then in the book of Revelation, guess what happens? Ephesus comes up again. They're listed. So, oh, oh guess what? Harvest Palace was listed in the book of Revelation. Let's look up and see what it says. Not good news. Same church. I want you to hear how God is growing this church over time. In Revelation chapter 2, to the church in Ephesus, Revelation 2, 4 to 5, listen to what Jesus says. But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I'll come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Jesus wrote a whole book of the Bible to this church. Five years later, he sent a whole other letter to their pastor. Many years later, he included him in the book of Revelation and said, I'm about to shut you down. I'm about to shut you down. Because you are not loving. Jesus didn't feel loved by this church. He felt like the church abandoned love for him and for others. They were a truth church. You read what else it says in that letter of Revelation? It says, you hate the false teachings of those other people. They were a truth church. They weren't a loving church. And God gave them three shots here. A whole book, a whole book mentioned in another. But he threatened to shut them down. Jesus feels unloved by the unloving church. Therefore, leaders, we have to love people. Listen, elders and deacons and small group leaders, if we fail to fill the church with love, we will succeed in filling it with cold, legalistic truth. We'll succeed in filling it with bickering over truth. And we will wound people deeply. Um, Then we'll fill our own church with the fearful wrath of God because the unloving church fails. Why should I fill my church with love? Why isn't truth good enough, strong, truthful, masculine leadership? Uh, because, because Jesus feels unloved by the unloving church. Here's the next one. Write this down. Why should I fill the church with love for people? Because you were a stranger to God. You were a stranger to God. So I just read to you from Revelation where this church in Ephesus was addressed. Now let me read to you from the book of Ephesians. So they got this letter written to them first. What did it say in Ephesians 2.19? It said this. 
So then, you, church in Ephesus, are no longer strangers and aliens, but you're a fellow citizen with the saints and members of the household of God. You were a stranger to God. You were an outsider, a foreigner. And when it says alien there, it doesn't mean like Martian, like Martian. You like my alien impersonation? Maybe not. Alien means like alien in terms of like by country, by nation. You're like an outsider. You're a foreigner. You're an alien. You don't really belong here. You weren't born here. You weren't an insider. You're, you're out there. Do you know you have to understand that when the Bible describes the starting point of your relationship to God, it uses the word stranger. Every one of us in the room from birth, we were born estranged from God through the power of sin. Sometimes people will say to me things like, well, I know God was always there for me, and no, he wasn't. I mean, I know he was always real in my life, and no, that's not a guarantee. In fact, you started as a stranger to God. He was always there, but he had an agenda to change the nature of your relationship. From the moment you're born, he had a whole plan to change the fact, the reality, that you and God were strangers. You weren't family. You weren't a child of God. Well, I grew up in a Christian home. I knew about Jesus all my life. Well, then you should know better than to say you were born a child of God. You weren't. No one is born a child of God. You have to be reborn to be a child of God. In fact, you have to be adopted into his family. There's no such thing as a natural-born, heaven-bound child of God. There's no such thing on earth. You want into God's family, you have to trust his way, and you have to become a member of his family. Now listen. You were a stranger to God. Next time you go down to the city, just find the strangest looking stranger you've ever, ever laid eyes on. And I want you to do this. I want you to walk up to him, and I want you to look him in the eye and say, let's go home. I want you to move in. We're now family. You're going to take my last name. You're going to eat at our dinner table today. Got a bed ready for you. Let's go home. Would you do that? Chances of you doing that, negative percent. Not even a chance. Which is why you have to understand that God did that to you. He walked up to you when you were a stranger, when you had no business being welcomed into his family. You were far off from him. You were worse than just an unknown being. You were in rebellion against God. Your sin broke your fellowship to him. Yet still he walked up to you, looked you in the eye and said, Come home. I'm adopting you into my family. You're now a member of my household, and guess what? We're going to be together forever. When you realize that you didn't deserve that and that God reached across such a huge canyon of sin between you and him and brought you home, when you realize that you were a stranger to God and he still reached out and brought you home, then when you look at other people who are unfamiliar or unlovable or unknown to you, you get to show them the same love that God showed you. Sadly, sometimes people think God loved them their whole life. Oh, God's always loved me. I've always been a child of God. God so loved me. Well, what's not to love? Check me out. Of course he loved me. Listen, you weren't like this cute little furry puppy under the Christmas tree that all the kids were like, oh, look who's home. This is amazing. We got a puppy. You weren't this like Care Bear, all right? You were very hard to love. You were broken away from him. Nothing about you was attractive to God. Do you, know, do you know why he loved you? 
Because if he didn't love you, you would never be saved. You needed his love to be saved. That's why he loved you. He loved me because I'm adorable and awesome. No, far from it. He loved you because you needed to be saved. Do you know how he loved you? Sometimes people think the love of God, he loves every little thing about me. I know my father loves, well, he doesn't love everything you do. Do you know how he loved you? He loved you by sending his son to die for you. That's how he loved you. That's how he loved you. You were a stranger to God. He loved you because you needed his love to gain life. He loved you by sending his son into the world so he can save you. That's the love of God. And when you realize I am a stranger, I was far off from God, yet he sent his son to welcome me into his family, he did that for me, then you can look at those people who you don't technically have to love and give them that same love that God gave you. It really is the heart of the gospel. You were a stranger to God. But now you're no longer strangers and aliens, but you're fellow citizen and saint and member of the household of God. How awesome is that? Here's the next one. Fill your church with love for people because Jesus feels unloved by the unloving church because you were a stranger to God. And write this down. Because God welcomes the estranged home in the church. He welcomes them home right here. Do you know in the early church in Ephesus, there would have been Jews and Gentiles. Hatred between these Groups far exceeds any racism that lived in the United States at any point in history. All right, if you were a Gentile, which most of you are, and you decided to go to the temple in Jerusalem, like you're a tourist and you went to the temple and walked up on the top and you walked up to where they worship, you would not leave alive. You weren't allowed there. You would die before you made it to the inner courts. There were signs up. <laughs> you will cross this barrier punishable by death. That's about how much love was between Jew and Gentile. Now, in the church in Ephesus, Jews and Gentiles were sitting right next to each other. Slaves and masters sitting right next to each other. Men and women crossing cultural barriers in the, in the early church sitting right next to each other. There were tax collectors and there were revolutionaries. Tax collectors who profited from corruption in Rome. And then there were zealots who hated Rome sitting right next to each other singing to the same God. Boy, did they need to show love because all of them had been welcomed home into the same family by a loving father. And when you look, that, when you look up and down the rows around you, you see people who are different from different backgrounds. But guess what? We all have in common that if we've been saved, we're children of the king and we're going home one day. We need to act like that now. You were a stranger to God, but God welcomes the estranged home in the church. Galatians 4, 4 to 5 says this, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption. Get that? Adoption, family, welcome home as sons. The truth is, in many churches, the heat is off. It's broken. It's cold. It's loveless. Lauren and I drive a 2000 Chevy Astrovan. It's ugly and green. We call it the big pickle. And the heat went out several months ago. You don't need heat, you know, in the summer. So I just didn't worry about it. Well, I put it off a little too long, so my wife graciously said, Honey, why don't we switch cars until the heat gets fixed? (laughs) So I now drive the big green pickle. Uh, She drives my Camry. And you'd be surprised at how quickly I got motivated to get that heat fixed. You know, October, not so bad. November, oh, December, like my fingers are frozen to the steering wheel. Those of you who have heated steering wheels should be ashamed of yourselves. 
Here I am with my fingers frozen to the steering wheel. I've got to peel them off before I get out of that van. It was cold. The heat was broken. So I took it into the shop and got it fixed. And now it's warm, right? I'm still driving the van, but it's warm. Listen, in the church, sometimes the heat gets broken and it's cold. And maybe we're telling each other the truth, but maybe we're not loving one another. Hey, we got to fix the heat. Because God uses this room, he uses this church, he uses this group of people to welcome home sinners into the family of God. And if he's at work in hearts drawing his children home, and we're all stuffy, and we're all cold, and we're all angry, how are people going to want to come home to that? We must fill the church with love. Let me give you some suggestions on how we can do that. Um, Do you know that loving one another in this church starts in small groups? Do you know that? If you say, okay, I want to be hospitable. I want to learn to love strangers. I want to... The first thing you can do is get into a small group. In this church, we don't have Sunday school. We don't have Sunday night. We don't have a prayer night on Wednesday. If you really want to get together and fellowship with other Christians, it happens in small groups. Groups that meet all the way throughout the week on the evenings. And how many of you are in a small group? Just raise up your hand and... Do you realize we're a church of small groups? We're not a church with small groups. Like it's one other thing we do. We try and get every adult into a small group. And how many of you are even going beyond attending a small group? How many of you are actually letting a small group happen in your home? Like you got clean every week and you're opening your home. Raise your hand. In fact, stand up if you're hosting a small group. Come on, stand up. Listen, I want to applaud your hospitality. Come on, stand up for all those people who are hosting a small group. That's amazing. Hey, listen, you're turning the heat on in the church. You're warming it up. And if you've been around Harvest for a little while, it's time to get into a small group. What are you saying? You're saying, you know what, I'm going to have 10, 12, 15 people who I can love. I can know them, I can help them, I can love them. And you know what else? I'm going to have 10, 15 people who are they're going to know me. They're going to know what's going on in my life. They're going to be able to care for me. Hospitality starts in the home. And if you're not in a small group, it's practically impossible for you to feel like this church loves you and for the church to feel like you love it. It all starts in small groups. So hey, give that some thought and get into a small group. That's the first point. There's only two points. The first one is fill your church with love for people. The second one is this. Write this down. Fill your church with love for truth. Fill your church with love for truth. All right, listen carefully. The love of God and the truth of God are united in the Son of God. Did you catch that? The love of God and the truth of God are united in the Son of God. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth. And for God so loved the world that he gave his Son. The love of God and the truth of God are united in the Son of God. Which is why we fill the church with love for truth. If you receive Jesus Christ as truth and love from God, you have a relationship with the Lord that will never end. If you reject Jesus Christ, you're rejecting the love of God. You're rejecting the truth of God. The Bible says, he who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. Do you know God does love you? Do you know that he has a plan for you now and forever? And do you know that 100% of that plan is bound up in his son? So that if you receive his son, your relationship to Jesus is your relationship to God. You can't tell me, well, I'm a little iffy on Jesus. I'm a little so-so on Jesus, but God and I are tight. No, your relationship to Jesus is your relationship to God. 
In fact, I've heard someone say that um, when it comes to your relationship with God, you need like a bridge to bring you back to the Lord, to, to your Father, and that bridge is Jesus. Check this picture out. This is a bridge that's out. This is a picture of a bridge that's out. And you know what? You're born on that bridge. You've got no way to get to God. You're separated from God. You're a stranger, an alien, and you have no hope. And you know what the Bible says? The Bible says that Jesus comes in and he's the one mediator who stands between you and God and brings you together. He's the bridge. He's the only bridge. Uh, So when I say fill your church with love for truth, what is the truth? Write this down. Jesus saves sinners who believe the truth about him. That's the truth. Jesus saves sinners who believe the truth about him. Back up in chapter 2, verse 4 and 3, it says, God, our Savior, desires all people to be saved. How? And to come to a knowledge of the truth. What is that truth? There's one God and there's one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all. God's plan A and B and C and D to get you to heaven is Jesus. It's it. It's the only plan. Jesus saves sinners who believe the truth about him. There has to come a point where in your life where you embrace that truth for yourself. I can tell you my story. Uh, I was raised in the Catholic Church, so we went to church. So I knew church. We only went twice a year, so um, Christmas and Easter. They called us Christers. Christers. Get it? So I can tell you I knew church, but I didn't know Jesus. So even as a senior in high school, when I went to Stag, I could not have told you the difference between the New and the Old Testament. I could not have told you much about Jesus. And I went through religious ed, and I got confirmed and baptized and every, took communion. But here's the thing, I knew church, but I didn't know Jesus. So when I was in college, a freshman in college at Moraine Valley, the, my buddy invited me to come to his church. Now, do you want to see a picture of what I looked like in college? Here's a picture of what I looked like in college. That's me. I was the drummer in a heavy metal band. All right, And that's my girlfriend, Lauren. We're not married today. She wanted to date the bad boy. And God's like, ha ha, future pastor. <laughs> yeah. So there's me, and that's the kid that God started reaching down to. That's the kid that started going to church, hearing the gospel for the first time, learning that Jesus came into the world to save me. And my freshman year in college, I remember I was driven to my knees, and I remember praying, Jesus, now I know that this story is more than just history. This is a reality. I'm a sinner. I need a Savior. Come into my life and save me. Then I knew Jesus. And I kind of opened my eyes after I prayed that, like, where's the angels? Nothing really spectacular happened. It's not like the ground shook. It's not like angels appeared. But my life changed that moment. Everything about me is different because of that moment. Hey, do you have a story when Jesus became your Savior? Do you have a story when you invited Christ to wash away all of your sins, where you repented of your sins? Do you have a story like that? Regardless of whether you were brought up in a church or not in a church, God loves you. He showed that love for you by sending you a Savior. Therefore, receiving Jesus is knowing God's love. Rejecting Jesus is rejecting God's love. And God wants you. He loves you, so he sent his son to die for you. You know, the natural thing for a person who knows Jesus to do, the first thing is to be baptized. It says in the book of Acts, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of the Lord Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. So as a college student, even though I had been baptized as a baby, I got baptized again to show my faith. We, we found the video. Do you want to see the video of Metal Ryan getting baptized. Check this out. Here's my baptism video. This is Ryan Hall. Ryan, do you believe in Jesus Christ? They put me in a dress. 
who died and rose again for your sins. And have you by faith received him as your own personal Lord and Savior. Ryan, based on your testimony of faith in Christ, I'm going to baptize you, my brother, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Buried in the light of his death. Future pastor, right? Nobody saw that. I was just this punk stoner who came to church, got saved, started reading the Bible, and God had huge plans, you know, to start a whole church eventually. Hey, who knows who's in the room today? Maybe you're, you're thinking, you know what, I don't have a story like that. I've never received Christ as Savior. I've never been baptized. Maybe God brought you here this morning to help you see how he's loved you. He's loved you by sending his son to save you. Maybe God wants you to know why he's loved you. The truth about why he loved you is not because you're all special and sweet and nice and funny. He loves you because you desperately need to be saved from sin and death and hell forever. That's why he loved you. And understanding why he loved you and how he loved you, will that's the truth. The truth will connect you to the reality of God's love. Truth and love go together. Therefore, we have to fill the church with Love for truth, that Jesus saves sinners who believe the truth about him. Here's the next one. Therefore, we must teach the truth without apology. Without apology. Many churches fail to teach the truth at all. Or they teach it, but they apologize for it. It goes like this. I'm really, you know, I'm sorry if this offends you, but, or maybe you don't agree with me, but, and they're like apologizing, gushing with, with shame over the truth of Christ. Um, you know, in this church, one of our pillars is proclaiming the authority of God's word without apology. Um, I'm never going to say sorry for what God told me to tell you, ever, because it's from heaven. It's his will for you and me. Who am I to be ashamed of it? Who am I to question it? Who am I to change it? Heaven forbid that that should ever happen in this church. We've preached sermons in the past about divorce, homosexuality, gossip, heaven and hell, spiritual gifts, end times. And you know what? There have been some hard things shared. There have been some humorous things shared. Never have we said sorry. We're going to proclaim to you the full, the full measure of God's word in this church. We have to teach it without apology. It says in 2 Timothy 4, 2, Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they'll accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. And they'll turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Hey, here we teach the Bible. Verse by verse, word by word, you're getting a biblical message every Sunday. Um, We don't teach warm, happy, encouraging stories like chicken soup for the soul. You know, we don't just fill you with encouraging news headlines that make you feel good, that there's some good people in the world because some little baby polar bear got rescued out of a frozen pond and some other kind of blah, blah, blah. Like, we're not going to just share sappy, warm stories with you on Sunday. That's not what it's all about. We're also not going to bore you with historical facts from the Bible. Fact, fact, fact. Knowledge, knowledge. Okay, all that is true. It's Thanks for telling me the four different soil types in Jerusalem before you told me the parable of the sower. Like, wow, that's a lot of factual information. We're not just going to share facts with you because the Bible says reprove, rebuke, and exhort. We're going to drive it to application every Sunday. This is not a church for you to just come and get more knowledge. If you want more knowledge so you can get ready for Bible Jeopardy, find another church. We're not going to give you a fat head filled with more facts Listen, people have 
had to come to grips with this over time. If you want to, if you want to go through every Bethmore Bible study and every John MacArthur and you want to take the next, you know, K. Arthur and more knowledge, more knowledge, fact, 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 teach me, teach me, you're not going to really feel like at home in this church. You've got plenty of knowledge already. We're going to challenge you to apply it in your relationships to the Lord and to others. And guess what? Then the fact Christians don't like that so much. Who are you to tell me what to do? I've done every Bethmore Bible study there is. Yeah, we'll start doing it in your life. Then you can take the next one. The last thing you need is another Bible study. Go do what you've already learned. We focus a ton on application. Um, sometimes churches just teach opinions. Like the teacher gets up and he just shares all of his theories and opinions and theological preferences or maybe his thoughts on politics or psychology or headlines. Opinions, opinions, opinions. We're not going to teach that. Okay? We're not just going to teach needless facts. We're not just going to teach opinions. We're not just going to teach warm, happy stories. We're going to drive everyone to understand what the Bible literally said and meant, and then we're going to show you how it should change you. Don't come to church to learn. Come to church to change. Don't try showing off every Bible study. You have all of your knowledge. Come to change. Show Show off the latest character flaw God is altering in you. Show off the new virtue God is installing in you. Show off a more mature way of relating to fellow Christians. Show that off. Don't show off your last memory verse. Um, We're all about teaching the truth without apology so that we can apply it, not so that we can flaunt it, so that we can apply it. And we're going to fill this church with love for truth. Um, Write this down too. And we must defend the truth from false claims. It's not enough to just share the truth. We actually have to share what isn't the truth and defend the truth. Titus 1.9 says, He, the leader, the elder, must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. Did you get that last part? He can give instruction in sound doctrine and therefore my lesson is complete. And he's able to rebuke those who contradict it. Sit down and I'm going to set you straight. Both have to happen. And leaders and elders, small group leaders, flock leaders, deacons, have to be examples of somebody, a guy who can open the book and talk people through the truth. And when they hear something that contradicts it, they can demolish that stronghold and argument that exalts itself against Christ. We do it in love, but we do it. Do you know there are false claims that will try and circulate around the church? There's some false claims like what? Like uh, the false claim that religion can save you. False claim. Well, he goes to church. Well, she, she prays all the time. Well, what you're telling me is religion can save her, and I'm telling you that's not true. Jesus can save her. Does she know Jesus? False claim is also good works can save you. He's a good guy. I mean, he does all sorts of good stuff for the needy and gives, well, great, but you're telling me that his morality can save him, and I'm telling you that's a false claim. Jesus can save him. False claims include, well, you know, you really get another chance. I mean, like, who knows what happens after this life? God is just, so, or maybe you come back again. Maybe you get another shot in another life. Those are false claims. Man is destined to die once and after that to face judgment. You don't get another chance. Another false claim would be, well, Jesus is one way, but there's other ways out there too. This is, you've heard of juice plus, this is Jesus plus. Yeah, Jesus is a way, but there's another way too. Their way works also. Um, no, the Bible doesn't allow for that. There is one mediator between God and man. Therefore, we have to be able to defend the truth from false claims. We must teach the truth without apology because Jesus saves sinners who believe the truth about him. And if we fill the church with love for truth and 
fill the church with love for people, then we will be a biblical church um, that follows the guidelines. And the thing is, it starts with the leaders. Again, in the Bible, there are only two words we're learning today. It was hospita- uh, hospitable, able to teach. Hey, leaders, it starts with us. How are you doing at being hospitable? Opening your heart and your home to fellow believers or strangers. Those on your block, those at your work. Great that you read your Bible this morning. How about you show some love to those people who need it? How are you doing at growing in hospitality? Getting into a small group, loving those people like family in your small group. And then ask yourself this, leaders, how are you doing at loving truth? Saying the hard word. When somebody says something that contradicts the Bible, leaning into that and setting that straight. How are you doing at loving truth in the relationships with those around you who don't know Jesus? Not just loving them, but challenging them to believe the life-changing message of the gospel. It starts with the leaders. It spreads to the church. We need to fill the church with love for people. We need to fill the church with love for truth. If we do both of those things, we're going to see lives changed. And the best way to end this service today is to actually celebrate that lives have been changed. Um, We're going to do a baptism service right now. Isn't that exciting? Baptism services are a great time to celebrate those people who have come to know God. Let me explain to you what baptism is so that you know what we are and what we aren't doing. Baptism is a way for people to proclaim their faith in Christ. It's a symbol, all right? Maybe if you're married, do you have a wedding ring on your finger right now? Do you have a wedding ring? This wedding ring is a symbol that something relationally happened between you and another person in front of God in the past. If I take my wedding ring off, I'm still married because this is just the symbol. Baptism is just the symbol of what has already happened in the relationship between these people and God. The waters of baptism do nothing for the person. Faith in Jesus is what does something for the person. And what they're sharing is they're sharing that at some point in their past, for some of them it was recently, for some of them it was actually a long time ago. They're sharing that they did come to a knowledge of the Lord Jesus as their Savior. They prayed to receive him as Savior. Because of that, through faith, their sins were washed away. And as they go under the water, they're showing you um, that their sins have been washed away through faith in Christ. They're also showing you that uh, as they go down into the water, it's as if they're in the grave like they're dead and they come back to life. They're showing you that they've been born again through faith in Christ. Both of those things happen through faith. The water does nothing. All right? They're showing off what God has done through Christ in their lives. And you have the joy of hearing their testimony this morning. But listen, as you're watching them get baptized, I want you to ask yourself this question. Do you have a story of a time in your life when Christ washed away your sins through faith? Do you have a time in your life when you were born again by the power of God through the testimony of Christ? I don't mean like, oh yeah, I said I'm sorry a couple times for a few little boo-boos or white lies. No, I mean a one time where you came before God and said, I am sinful and broken and beyond repair and I need you to save me. Hey, ask yourself if you have had that experience in the past. And right now I'm going to invite out Pastor Jeremy and he's going to bring out uh, the first several people to get baptized. Pastor Jeremy, come on out. Look at all these happy people to see us. And more coming. 
This is Chris Morento. Chris, why don't you tell us why you want to be baptized today? Well, I've always had faith and believed in Jesus and God and always went to church growing up. But a few times as a young child, uh, going with my cousin to her church and then having uh, like an altar call and wanting to be baptized and never being baptized as a child, but never asking um, uh, saving the salvation the prayer of salvation and asking Jesus into my life and forgive me of my sins and mm-hmm. to live in me and to be my Lord and Savior that um, Holy Spirit has always been whispering into my ear and just into my heart and always all these years just wanting to be baptized and never doing it mm-hmm. and just believing in um, Jesus for my salvation and um different trials in my life and asking him to take over and control my life amen. that I, I can't do it on my own. Amen. Amen. And then, um, and then uh, there's a little passage from the Bible. For, I, for by grace you have been saved through faith and this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God. Amen. Amen. It is the gift of God. So um, based on your testimony of faith, I'm going to baptize you today in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Family baptisms are the best. This is Ashley. This is Chris's daughter. So both getting baptized the same day. Um, Pretty exciting. So why don't you tell us why you want to be baptized today? I want to be baptized because I've recently renewed my relationship with Christ. I've always believed in God, but I never really had a strong relationship with him until this year. Ever since I've started coming to Harvest, the church has encouraged me to realize that Jesus is the only way and that God is much more than just believing in him. It's actually living and being in God's word and having a strong bond with him. I believe that Jesus' blood shedding on the cross and putting all my faith and trust in his hands is the only way to have eternal life. I put all my faith in, in him, and I will trust him in whatever circumstance and direction he leads me in. Amen. Well, it's been great to have you here at Harvest and to see you grow, uh, to serve, to walk with the Lord, and to grow as a worshiper of him as well. So it's just been awesome to be your youth pastor and see you grow. So do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? Yes. And are you relying on him alone for your salvation? Yes. All right. Well, it's based upon that testimony of faith that I get to baptize you today. Baptize you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. This is Brooklyn Sieber. Brooklyn, why don't you tell us why you want to be baptized today? Well, I was raised in a Christian home, and I always knew who God was. I was told by my parents that I was saved at the age of four, but I never remembered. I heard a few sermons saying that I should remember when I was saved. I prayed to God and asked him to save me at the age of eight. 
A while later, my faith was tested because I had an anxiety problem. Sometimes I felt like God wasn't there and that he didn't care about me or my problems. After that experience, I knew that I was saved and that God was real. Even though sometimes I felt like he wasn't there for me, in the end, I knew that he was and that he was there to help me through anything. And I just want to proclaim that God is my Savior. Amen. So you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? Yes. And you're relying on him alone, his death uh, and resurrection to save you? Yes. All right. It's based upon that testimony of faith that I baptize you today in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. You know, this is the first week where we filled this thing up. We didn't know if it was going to leak or if it was not going to work or whatever. So we don't even have the railings in it installed yet. Mark, come on down. Uh, so we're telling people to be careful. This is like half done. The wall's still being painted. and uh, So if we disappear, you know something went wrong. <laughs> All right. Well, this is Mark. Uh, Mark, why don't you tell us why you want to get baptized today? Um, I grew up in a Catholic church. So I, I, you know, heard the stories of Jesus and God, but uh, I wasn't born again. It wasn't until much later when I accepted Jesus Christ as my personal Savior. And uh, I was baptized in the Catholic Church as a baby, but I was never baptized as an adult. So I want to do this as a symbol of how much I for my salvation. Yeah. We're all wondering how you flew under the radar for so long. You've been coming to this church like from the beginning, and here you are. We're going to give you the award for the guy who waited the longest at Harvest Palace. To, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Hey, I think, Mark, there's a lot of people like you. They have an early religious experience. Certainly I did. But they never brought it to that uh, fruition. They never went public and said, this is my faith. I want everyone to know this is my truth and this is my God, right? So I just want to commend you, my friend, that you would do this and not feel like, oh, I missed it. You know, you're actually taking that step and you're doing it and we get to rejoice with you today. So based on that testimony, I'm going to baptize you. Go ahead and step over here. You know, when we would uh, meet at Stag High School, um, I'd always walk out on Sunday after church, and there'd, there'd be this dear, um, there'd be this dear saint sitting outside. I'd always stop by and say hi to Sonia. And so I can't tell you how overjoyed I am today that Sonia has decided to get baptized. Um, Sonia, come on down. This is a great day. shorts in 40 years that's fantastic Sonia so many people here know you they love you they know that you've been going through such hard times and wow here out of nowhere you say it's time to be baptized can you just share with us what uh, why you want to do that I have been a Christian for a long time and I just, I kept putting it off because I'm embarrassed. I'm old. 
I'm fluffy. I, I'm, there's so many excuses that you make, but recently, very recently, God gave me two miracles that I just, I kept thanking him every day and every day, and, but that wasn't enough. It wasn't enough. Thank yous aren't enough. And I said, all right, Lord, I'm going to get baptized. I love you so much. Hold on to me. And I'll hold on to you so very tightly. I'll never let go again. And I thank him for this privilege, this opportunity, this blessing. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Did you, uh, I see you holding something. Was there something else you wanted to share? Or I guess I memorized it. Well, that's great. <laughs> She's going for the glasses and decided she didn't need them. Look at that. Oh, <laughs> well, Sonia, that's such an amazing testimony. I know this has not been a good year. This is not a year um, where you could look around and say, wow, God has done nothing but bring good things into my life. So I respect that you decided to do this in a year filled with uncertainty and pain and sickness. Uh, I think that shows how much God means to you. Um, and I think it's awesome that you've been following him for so long and he's still doing new things in your life and in your faith. Wow, that's a great testimony. Yes. And based on your love for Christ and based on your faith in Christ, I have the joy of baptizing you this morning. Thank you. Come over this way. A couple steps right there. Okay. okay. Gotta let go. <laughs> <laughs> I baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. You did great, Sonia. You did great. Grab your glasses. There you go. We have one more person getting baptized. This is Leah. And um, I talked to Leah yesterday uh, for the first time really at length. Come on down, Leah. And uh, <laughs> I didn't know her all that well. And it was just yesterday that she said, well, I've never been baptized, but I want to. And I said, well, how about tomorrow? And she said, sure. <laughs> so Leah's got a fabulous story, but why don't you tell us why you want to get baptized today? Okay, well... Um, a little bit about my story is that um, I grew up as a missionary kid. Uh, from the time I was two months, my family traveled to the Philippines, and um, they still live overseas right now. And um, anyways, I have, you know, known, God, known about God and um, grew up in a godly home. And, um, but I feel like for many years, it was just like head knowledge, and it wasn't heartfelt um, devotion that I had for him. I feel like, um, well, first of all, at eight years old, I did uh, accept Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, but it wasn't until I got into high school that I started to really just long for that passion um, and that just that desire to serve him with my whole life. And I, I realized that I was, you know, living like a, a lukewarm faith and that I just was not, 
I did not have that joy in my life and that passion that that I was wanting for him. And so at that at that time, I was you know in a dark place. But God just completely changed my heart through through His Word and through just different things that happened um, in my high school days. And He just He changed my life. And I haven't been baptized, so I really wanted to to take this opportunity opportunity to do it so Mm -hmm. yeah that's great leah has a huge heart for working with children with special needs over at elam and moved to town just a couple months ago from florida she probably regrets that now but uh moved to town from florida just specifically to work with those children and doesn't know anybody so if uh you're in her small group and you have a chance to get to know her hey let's literally welcome her uh, to town well leah it's my joy to baptize you as a sister in christ barely know you but wow we're family and it's so good that, you know this, this is a church family here so uh, we rejoice with you that you're taking this step uh, today Well, as the worship team comes out, let me just say this. Um, Maybe you are wondering where you stand with God. Maybe you have never put your faith in Christ, repented of your sins, turned from your life without God, and become an adopt. You've never become an adopted child of the Father. Hey, listen, right here and right now, I want to give you a chance to pray with me to receive Christ. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for sending Jesus to die for me on the cross. I believe that Jesus is the Son of God who came into this world, lived the perfect life, died on the cross, was buried, and rose again. And by that truth, I'd like to be saved. I repent of my sins and turn toward you, Father. Help me to live life for you. Help me to know with assurance that I'll be going to heaven forever. Not because of anything I've done, but because of everything Jesus did on the cross. And give me courage to tell other people that I have trusted Christ as my Lord and Savior. I pray that you would reaffirm for those who are calling upon the Lord right now, Father. Never will you leave them. Never will you forsake them. And give them courage soon to choose to be baptized as well. To show the church and the world that they are your followers. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.